This is the Build Wealth Canada show with Cornell Schreiber, session number 13. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to session 13 of the Build Wealth Canada show. Today, I'm really excited to have none other than Julie Kazan on the show, who is going to tell us all about how we can retire early. Julie has also arranged for a giveaway to all Build Wealth Canada listeners, so definitely stay tuned for details on that too. Now, Julie is a national award-winning business and personal finance journalist. She is a founding member and senior editor at Money Sense Magazine, which, as you may know, is actually the largest personal finance magazine in all of Canada. Now, while she consistently writes some of the most popular columns for Money Sense Magazine, she's also written for Reader's Digest, Canadian Business, McLean's, and many others. She's also appeared as a television guest on City TV, Rogers, CTV, as well as several radio shows throughout the years, speaking about a whole range of personal finance topics. Last but not least, she's also an instructor at Ryerson University for business journalism. And on top of all that, I can personally say that in the past, I've actually learned more from Julie after chatting with her for 15 minutes than I have from reading some entire books. So you are definitely in for a treat. Now, about the giveaway, Julie is giving away two books, the first being The Money Sense Guide to Buying and Selling a Home here in Canada. And the second book is called Independence Day by Jonathan Chevreau, who is also from Money Sense. And that book is all about how to achieve financial independence here in Canada. So to enter the giveaway, you have two options. Option one is send me an email asking a question that you'd like answered on a future episode of the show. And the easiest way to do that is to go to buildwealthcanada.ca, sign up for free so that you get emailed when new expert interviews come out. And upon signing up, you'll get an automatic email from me. And once you get that, just hit reply to that email and ask me your question. Once you do that, you'll be automatically entered into the draw. Now, if you can't think of a question or maybe you've participated in last week's giveaway and already submitted all the questions that you had to me, then you can still enter the giveaway. There's just a little bit of a different process. First, go to moneysense.ca and just check them out. They have some amazing articles on there. I read them all the time and it's definitely a great source of personal finance information for Canadians. Once you've checked them out, go over to buildwithcanada.ca and follow us on social media, whether it's uh, liking the page on Facebook or following me on Twitter. Once you do that, you'll automatically be entered into the giveaway. And because you're following, I'll also have a way to reach you to let you know if you've won. All right, so that's it. Either send me a question through email or check out Money Sense and follow Build Wealth Canada on social media to be automatically entered to win. You can also get all the details by going to the show notes at buildwealthcanada.ca slash 13. So just the number 13. I look forward to hearing from you. And now let's get into the interview. All right. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Cornell. So, Julie, what I thought we'd do is maybe start off with some of the more general, the more beginner level questions in terms of how Canadians can work on to retire early, basically. And then as we go on, we can move to the more advanced level questions, maybe get a bit more specific and sort of progress that way. So so just to start us off, can you give some general tips to Canadians who want to retire early? What should they be doing? What should they be looking for? Well, I think the, the best tip I can get anyone give anyone who wants to get started is to start monitoring your expenses. Find out how much you're spending every year. 
um, and how much you're making every year. Those are two key numbers that everyone should know, but they're really important as a starting point for people who want to start planning to retire early. Um, so monitor your budget. Spend a couple of months monitoring your budget. See how much you're spending and tally them up so you can get a really good sense of what your must-have expenses are, the ones that must be paid every month, and the ones that are discretionary. Uh, once you've done that, then you have sort of a framework to work with going forward when you're planning on, you know, looking forward and the numbers you will need when you retire early. So that is the first thing you should do. The second thing is when you're looking at your budget, find out um, how much you can pay yourself first. That is also a golden rule. For a lot of people, this is difficult. But if you want to retire early, it's really a must. You have to sort of set up a at least a basic account, like a TFSA, for instance, just to get you started, and start uh, looking at your budget and seeing how much you need every month uh, or don't need every month that you can actually save towards uh, your retirement. And of course, the more you save, the earlier you can retire in most cases. Um, for most people, saving 10% is a good place to start. And then as you move forward, try to add a little bit more every year. And this can be done really easily. You might get a pay increase, Add that to your savings account, your saving to retire early account. You get a bonus, add that as well. Um, so all these little bits of money, I mean, you get a tax refund, add that as well. Pretty soon your 10% might go as high as 20% or 25%, which I think is a much more comfortable savings rate for people if they are uh, planning to retire early. And by early, <clears throat> I mean... 50. If you can do it earlier, by all means, uh, a lot of people are really extreme savers and can probably do it at 40 if they put their mind to it and don't live in a high expense city like Toronto or Vancouver. But uh, for us who live in higher expense cities, uh, 50 is very, age 50 for retirement is very doable. That's great. That's great. Thanks, Julie. And then one of the questions I think a lot of us have is how do we know whether when we have enough to actually retire? Can you maybe talk a little bit about how we can get that number or, or how we can start to calculate that number? That's right. So <clears throat> all along, you've been calculating how much you spend, um, which is what you did in the early days when you were monitoring your saving. You're now trying to decide, well, what, what is the big number I should be aiming for? And usually a good way to tell what that number would be is by looking at your expenses. Um, first thing to do is minimize those expenses, and that's usually done by Two things, trying to pay off your mortgage by the time you retire early is, is a key to making it really work. So try to, to pay off your mortgage and also try to pay off any consumer debt, credit card debt, car loan debt that you have. Once those are gone, you'll be amazed at how little it really takes to live a very nice life here in Canada. We have so many things paid for already, Medicare, Education is subsidized in many cases. Uh, so many things are free. Uh, you know, the local library has lots of stuff that you can entertain yourself with, rec centers. So once all of the debt is gone, take a look at the number that you have there. Now, if you're renting, that's fine. Try to keep your rent um, at a reasonable amount uh, and try to sort of figure that out whether this will be an amount that you can sustain going forward. So if you're if you haven't paid off your house, um, and, and don't have a house and are renting instead, then please include that number in the expenses because it will always probably always be there for you. Once you tally up all those expenses, you'll probably find that you'll get a number around uh, $40,000 to $50,000 uh, 
um, net a year that you can probably live very comfortably on. So I like to tell people to aim for about between forty and fifty thousand dollars net. Um, if they if they find they need more, uh, then they can also tack that on. But I find aiming to live on forty to fifty thousand a year is fine. Uh, so once you have that number, then you have a good idea. Of, well, when I get to age fifty. I'm going to have to, uh, and I quit my job because I won't have that income stream anymore. I'm going to have to find other income streams to replace or, or to uh, to replace my earned income. So where will that money come from? And it can come from a variety of sources. Um, one thing we try to encourage people at uh, who read Money Sense to do is to build a portfolio of index funds, and we like to call it the couch potato portfolio. And uh, it's basically a portfolio of uh, exchange-traded funds or index funds. These are all low-cost ways of building a very diverse portfolio that uh, you can accumulate over the years and will give you a, a good return of between 4 and 6% a year, which is uh, usually a, it, it's, a, it's a modest amount, but it's enough to, to get you where you're going. Now, Julie, sorry to interrupt. Is that a, a real return? That you would say, yes. or yeah, I'd okay. Say, I'd say a real return of about four percent, a gross mm -hmm. return of about six to seven percent. Okay, okay, sounds good. And and for everybody that maybe isn't familiar with the terms, basically a re real return is when you subtract out inflation. So that's kind of the actual correct. Correct. So the, the real return is what you get to keep once you have you know factored out taxes and inflation. Uh, and and so for most people that will be uh, sufficient to to uh, and and a very low stress low cost way of making sure their money is working hard for them while they're accumulating it, uh, so that it'll be there at age fifty um, in a bigger pot than they would have expected. So um, so so that's one stream of income. I find that a lot of our readers also like the idea of uh, dividend investing. This is more of a stock picking approach to investing with your money. And it works very nicely because a lot of uh, dividends, as a lot of stocks pay about three to four to 5% dividends a year. So to give you an example, if you want $40,000 in income a year, net income a year, that basically this will cover your expenses completely, uh, then you will need a portfolio of about a million dollars worth of dividend paying stocks. Going forward, those will give you income of between 3.5 and 4.5% a year. Uh, dividends are taxed much uh, less harshly than actual income, so you'll find that your dividends actually stretch a little stretch your income a little bit further. Um, and it's really a low-stress way of um, receiving money every quarter, or in some cases with the dividend fund, every month. So a lot of people, once they have accumulated their million dollars in this case of stocks, because that's all they used um, to get that $40,000 a year, the dividends are more than enough to cover all of that. And it really is a low stress way of uh, investing. If you want to travel, it's a great way because there's nothing hands on that you have to do. And you can very easily uh, set up a portfolio. There's lots of information on how to do it. Money Sense has a guide to dividend investing uh, online that people can go to to research how easy it is to pick, you know, 10 to 12 stocks and set up their own dividend paying portfolio so that they have this income stream or what I like to call this, you know, paycheck to yourself coming from your account so that you can travel and golf and do all kinds of things instead of sitting there trying to figure out where your next, uh, 
you know, hot stock will be. So that's a second way people do it. Um, the third way, and it's a small portion of our readers, they like passive uh, rental income. They love in investing in real estate. They love renting out a home. Uh, I just interviewed a gentleman who has bought five small properties in the Sarnia area. And his goal, he's now 30, his goal is to pay those all off. They're very modest uh, properties. They're about $100,000 each. But he's figured that once those are paid off, the income, the rental income from those properties will be about $45,000 a year. And he can just live on the rental income. If things get um, crazy or if he all of a sudden decides he doesn't uh, have enough money, he can always sell one property, have a bit of cash in the bank and maybe build a dividend portfolio that way as well. So for now, that suits him. So I guess the, the thing is different strokes for different folks. But I think those are the three best ways of guaranteeing yourself an in income stream uh, when you retire early. Okay, that's great, Julie. Thanks. Yeah. So out of those three options, is there any one that you personally like to use or that you'd recommend? For example, with uh, me, myself right now, um, we have some real estate, uh, we have a real estate rental, and then we I do broad market ETFs as well. Um, but yeah, for sure, some folks do the, they take the more dividend approach. But one of the things, uh, sort of arguments that I've heard against, let's say doing the dividend approach, is that if you're doing that, then you're becoming a lot less diversified than if you went for, let's say, broad market ETFs. And I guess the same would apply to real estate. Like if you bought five properties in Sarnia, then now, you know, that could work out very well for you. But then you are taking that extra level of risk because of the diversity, you know, if the Sarnia, let's say real estate market drops, you know, you have your sort of your whole nest egg probably tied up in that. Right. So, is, so is there, uh, can you maybe address that a little bit and what your thoughts are? on sort of the your preference on those three options and then diversification? I believe in diversifying your passive streams of income. <clears throat> I think doing maybe two or three things. And I think there's <clears throat> one other thing I didn't talk about, which is having a passion and maybe having a part-time job while you're retired. I mean, a lot of people talk about retiring at 50, but the truth is that you, those are some of the best years you're going to have activity-wise and interest-wise. You'll probably have spent 20 years doing a job that was interesting, but not very exciting or not very challenging. Um, so uh, what I would also do is make sure that I have something when I retire, and maybe not right away, but if, if you're 50, you might decide that you want to have a blog, maybe some make some income that way, do some freelance writing. Some people do landscaping on the off time. There are so many things you could do as long as it's something that you are interested in and uh, could bring in a little bit of income. That's also an acceptable form of income. Now, here we have four income streams then. We have dividend investing, passive investing through the couch potato, rental income, and some part-time income. So which is the best way of, what is the best way of setting up your portfolio? I would recommend that um, you do a couple of those things. Uh, if, if all along you've tried some of those things and you feel more comfortable with something like dividend investing, you're absolutely right. It's sort of like putting all your eggs in one basket. But the truth of the matter is, is that Every country has country bias. And the reason we put a lot of our um, investments in Canadian stocks is because the dividends are treated so well tax-wise. So you get to keep so much of them. Uh, plus, I think Canada for now, and, and has been for years and years and years, has been one of the safest places to invest regarding um, dividend-paying stocks. Lately, with the oil stocks, we've had a bit of a, uh, an up-and-down chaotic ride 
But um, for most people, if you have a balanced portfolio of dividend stocks, uh, and you might want to throw in some American dividend stocks, the other way I have seen people do this is by holding a dividend, a passive low-cost dividend mutual fund portfolio of global stocks. In that case, um, there is an ETF that holds every single dividend-paying stock in the world, and dividends are paid to your account every month. So there, there, by using that technique, you avoid having all your dividend-paying stocks from Canada. You have geographical diversification. You now have, have also, it's a little bit less risky because your, your dividends are coming from all different parts of the world. Um, and so you can rest assured that, you know, if companies go belly up in Canada, there's probably something doing very well in Germany in your portfolio. So that kind of divert, limits the geographical risk and the country bias risk that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. That's great. Uh, but I, I, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. But I would <laughs> recommend that uh, even if you have a favorite way of investing, you uh, at least try to bring in some part-time income even while you are retired. I think you'll find that it adds to sort of, you know, your well-being and balance of life. It keeps you learning and also might open up other opportunities to you. And if it's something that you love, it's not really work. It's basically you're just um, uh, sort of enjoying a passion that you didn't have the time to enjoy beforehand. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, I think it's important to believe that just because you're retired and, and what someone might consider work, that might not actually be considered work to you, but yeah, you're still getting paid for it. So if you absolutely love, let's say, gardening or you know something like that, well, like me myself, I would consider that work because I, I dislike gardening. It's not my thing, but for someone else, they might love it. Uh, my mother-in-law loves it, for example. So to, to do something, so if you're retired and if that's your passion, then there's no way, reason why you can do what you love and actually still get paid for it. Um, so you're so now you're you're happy all the way around, basically. And even if you're not getting paid for it, I find a lot of people become uh, serial volunteer people, and uh, it's it, it's great because. You know, these are people who love going out and going to functions and all kinds of things. And and usually when you volunteer, um, you get to watch movies or plays or the symphony and all these things that can cost a lot of money. You also meet a new circle of friends who have a passion for what you have and you do a little bit of good for your community as well. Um, so something like that can really add something to your life. It doesn't cost you anything. Um, so you won't be spending all your time going to the shopping mall and buying things to fill your time. That, that is the other thing you want to avoid. You, you want to make sure that when you are retired, especially if you retire early, that you tend to stick to your budget, give or take, you know, a couple of thousand dollars either way of, of your goal for the year. So I find that doing things like volunteer work, having hobbies, these things keep you out of the shopping mall and, and away from uh, the, uh, the, the um, online sites for purchasing things you probably don't need. Exactly, exactly. And if you're volunteering, let's say you love plays and you volunteer at maybe a local uh, place that does plays, uh, maybe they will give you a discount on tickets or even free tickets for every once in a while. So this way you can sort of do your sort of philanthropic work in a way, right? Yes. You can still sort of give back to the community by volunteering, but you and that, but that's your passion anyway. So now you're also, you know, you're helping, but you're also receiving something. So it's a win-win for everyone. For that's sure. right. And a lot of my friends who are um, retired or semi-retired, as I like to call them, um, they'll, you know, volunteer at the Toronto International Film Festival. The tickets there are very hard right. to get, and they will usually get a, a pass as well for, you know, uh, mm -hmm. working as an usher or a ticket uh, 
attendant. And uh, it's two weeks that they love to look forward to. And it's almost a social event as, as well as a community event for them. So it works very nicely. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Yeah, Julie, I wanted to uh, bring up one more thing you, you mentioned uh, when we were talking about the the dividends and how you mentioned how you can get uh, basically funds where they purchase dividend paying yes. stocks for across the world. Yeah, I, I can see that. That's a really great tip, I think, because I know with, with Canada, we're not so diversified when it comes to yes. the different industries like some of the other countries. And so if you focus exclusively on dividend paying stocks um, within Canada, you're really limiting yourself to only a few sectors, which, which you know, you might be okay doing that, but it brings on an extra level of risk as well, because now you're, you're not diversified across different industries as much as you should be. So, so that's, that's a great tip to, to at least consider that if you're taking that dividend approach for sure. I think it'll help people sleep a little bit easier at night. Oh, for sure. For sure. Although I'm sure there are people out there who have all Canadian dividend paying stocks and, and also sleep very soundly. Um, right. I just think it, uh, and it doesn't have to be one or the other. I mean, you can have half your portfolio in a uh, in a global dividend stock, and you can have half your portfolio in Canadian dividend paying stocks if you feel more comfortable having most of your money in Canadian stocks and currency. So there, you know, there's a lot of way to slice it and dice it. Not not one method is right for everybody. But in general, those two instruments, um, dividends, a dividend paying mutual fund, a global one, uh, and even just a couch potato approach where you diversify amongst three different sectors of the global economy with low cost ETFs, those all work absolutely fine. And, uh, you know, you can talk to a financial planner when you're setting up your portfolio about what you feel most comfortable with, and you can have them guide you to the perfect fit for you. But more or less, it'll be... uh, uh, one of these uh, two or three things that you'll have to um, uh, build, will be the building blocks of your portfolio. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. And Julie, one other thing I want to ask you is you interview, uh, you write some really great articles at Money Sense Magazine where you talk about, you talk to different Canadians and they may be going through some struggles or have some opportunities and you sort of can help advise them as to what, what they should be doing. And I'm sure while doing that, you learn a lot about sort of the common mistakes that individuals make when it comes to to managing their money and when it comes to retiring early. Can you talk a little bit about some of the top mistakes that you see individuals make? Uh, yeah, I think there's several mistakes people make. The first one is never even trying. The first one is just saying, oh, I have so many expenses. How could I possibly save for retirement at 50 or my parents didn't do it till 65 and it worked out fine for them, even though I want to do it. I probably can't do it. They made way much, way, way more money with, than me. So the first thing is, is to have a positive attitude. And I find any, anyone who accomplishes their goal, that is the way they start out. They start out with the goal. It is a priority for them. And they are willing to make some sacrifices along the way because the long-term priority is their goal. So that is, is one key thing that I find that um, people who want to do it but say, oh, well, I can never do it. So first of all, you have to get by that hump. The other thing is I think that people underestimate how much money they probably will still need to fill those years between 50 and 65 if you retire early. That will be a time when you probably will not collect CPP. Uh, You certainly won't collect OAS until 65 or even later uh, if you're younger. Uh, So that is a huge chunk of time to fill with with earnings that are not going to be coming from a full-time job. And I think people also underestimate how much they want to do in their 50s. You know, you're not going to be satisfied for a lot of people just staying home and doing some volunteer work. That would be great. 
most people have these great aspirations that they want to travel um, and, uh, and and that takes money. So I, I think the key thing is not to underestimate if you really want to travel and do some of these more high budget things. Uh, a key mistake is also to underestimate how much you will need in those key 15 years up to retirement at 65 and to make sure that you monitor I would say monitor every year with a financial planner that you have already sat down and showed them your plan for early retirement and make sure every year you monitor how much you're spending with them. Make sure that your portfolio is not running out of money, that you are not dipping into it more than you probably uh, planned to when you were uh, had just retired. So, yeah, And the third thing is people underestimate how long they'll live. Uh, they think that they will, you know, well, if my portfolio lasts until 80, that would be great. More and more people are living well into their 90s. Your money has to stretch for a much longer time. So I think those things should be taken into account in your calculations. Um, the, uh, and, I, and also the fact that, you know, between the ages of 50 and 65, if you are not working, you are not adding any credits to your Canada Pension Plan. Uh, people underestimate how important that money is. You know, for CPP and OAS at age, let's say 65, if you're able to collect it at 65, like some of the older boomers are, that can be about $18,000 a year for you, $18,000 a year for your wife. So in many instances, once you get to age 65 and start collecting CPP and OAS, you're going to need very little money from your portfolio. So please don't forget to include those calculations, the CPP, OAS. For some people, it's the guaranteed income supplement um, in your calculations. So remember, your portfolio, you don't have to draw the complete forty dollars or $50,000 from your portfolio from age 50 to age 100. It's only from age 50 probably till age 60. And then at age 60, uh, other benefits will kick in and you might only need $20,000 from your portfolio. Uh, and then you might find that the biggest mistake you've made was not spending enough earlier on in your retirement so that you could actually enjoy life a little bit more. Right, right. Yeah, you might have saved too much at that point and maybe now you're in a higher tax bracket or maybe your health isn't as good as it used to be. Yes. So you can no longer do those you can no longer take that scuba vacation that you wanted to, okay. that you were planning for till to, to, to not do until later. Yeah. And the other thing I would recommend to people is that um, there is uh, this, pro this uh, process or method called income smoothing. And a lot of people will have built up large amounts of money in their RSPs by the time they hit 50. And there are very tax efficient ways of withdrawing that money probably more than withdrawing money from your TFSA or your non-registered accounts to spend during early retirement. It probably makes huge sense to start making RSP withdrawals, uh, maybe even you know up to 15000 a year, because you will be taxed at such a low bracket. You will get way more bang for your buck to withdraw that RSP money between 50 and 65 than you would ha if you waited and started withdrawing it all uh, later on in your 70s and had it rift back you'll probably be in a higher bra bracket they it will you know they will dictate how much you can take out so you won't have the room to maneuver and keep your tax bracket low but um i think it's key that people uh, see a tax accountant when they when they are putting together where they, these income streams so that they are creating the most tax efficient portfolio and it's oftentimes people not really understanding that 
part of the equation that prevents them from getting the most out of their portfolio, uh, even if they do manage to retire early. That's great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess if you're if you're doing the early retirement, let's say 50 to 65, prioritizing your RRSP withdrawals would be a good strategy. Um, in a lot of cases, it sounds like because you, you would basically you're in that very low bracket. So you could bring in an income of, let's say, less than 40,000. So now you're in a very low bracket. And then when you're older you're let's say 65 plus you've got your um you now have your cpp you've got your oas and then maybe at that point it would make sense to start utilizing your tfsa a bit more since now you can start taking that money in and it's not going to affect your your income would that be a you think maybe a decent strategy to do absolutely and and these are things that are second nature to people who do financial planning all the time they're not necessarily top of mind for people who are, you know, struggling every day, raising a family, trying to retire early. Um, and these are there are so many options out there that can get you over the hump. <clears throat> so I'm hoping that people will visit their planner and their tax account at least every couple of years so that they can make sure that they're maximizing um, those uh, those uh, different uh, methodologies. For sure. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you very much. That's really good, uh, really good advice. Well, I hope you enjoyed part one of the interview with Julie. Remember, you can easily enter the giveaway to win one of the books by going to buildwealthcanada.ca, signing up for the free newsletter so you'll know when new episodes come out, and then sending me an email with a question that you'd like covered on a future episode. Or you can check out moneysense.ca, which you should be checking out anyway, and follow Build Wealth Canada on either Facebook or Twitter so that I have a way of getting in touch with you if you are selected as one of the winners. All right, so once you do that, you'll be automatically entered into the giveaway. And you can also check out buildwealthcanada.ca slash 13 to see the show notes for this episode. And you can sign up and like the show from there as well to be automatically entered into the giveaway. I look forward to hearing from you and stay tuned for part two of the interview with Julie. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca. 